Welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here. Um, finishing up a series called Driven. We're doing three weeks kind of just talking about what it is that drives us as a church. And uh, I just want to welcome you. It's a great time for you to be here and understand a little bit more about what makes us tick. When you hear the word driven, you understand, I mean, it's about motion, right? I mean, if you're a golfer, the driver is the biggest and longest club so that it can potentially move the ball the farthest, right? That's good or bad, depending on how good you are at golf, because that may mean you're the farthest out in that fairway or the farthest out in that fairway, in my case, but it's going to go the farthest. Driven is about motion. If you've been driven somewhere, you know, it's the cab driver, is, you've been driven by the cab driver or the bus driver, or if unfortunately you are in that place where you're teaching your kids to drive, you're driven by your teenager. And that's a scary place to be, isn't it? How many of you are doing that right now? Anybody in here? Yeah, okay. That, that, that's crazy. When my youngest daughter got her license, I, uh, next day I got right back in the back seat. You know, she was going to drive me somewhere. And I got in the back seat. She was like, Dad, what, why are you doing that? Do you want a different perspective? I said, no, I'm going to kick the back of your seat like you were doing to me all these years. <laughs> Sorry, it's just my problem. At, at Parkview, we are, uh, we are driven by a vision to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. Um, that's, about, that's about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is now. We want to bring the, the kingdom of heaven down to earth so that we can help the people around us and make the world a better place. And about the fact that ultimately this world is going to end and we're all going to need to be with Jesus someday. And Jesus is the answer, so we're going to take earth to heaven. So how does that work? Well, as Rick Warren says, we are driven by a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment. All right? The Great Commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. The Great Commandment is actually two parts, love God and love your neighbors yourself. And so we're driven by that great commitment to those two very simple things. That's what makes a great church. And I threw down pretty hard last, last week, i got to admit. I threw down pretty hard last week on how we need all of our members to understand what we're about as a church Parkview's purpose. What is, is it all about? And I came up with an acronym because I'd been hanging out with Rick Warren too much about what spells Parkview. So here it is. If you didn't hear the last two weeks, I would encourage you to go online and get this because this is, this is foundationally important to who we are as a church. The P stands for powered by the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, the church was powered by the Holy Spirit, not powered by their own power or their own ego or anything they did, but by God. Okay, that's the P. A was about all in. It was about the fact that there's unity together, and there weren't a bunch of different denominations. It was about everybody working together. R is for risk. The fact that we're going to take a risk, and we're, going to, we're not going to play prevent defense. That was what I kept talking about. No prevent defense. We're going to keep charging forward like that first church did in the midst of persecution. K is koinonia, which is the Greek term for family, for fellowship, for this love that they had for each other. They just all wanted to hang out with each other all the time. V in Park View is for volunteer, meaning they didn't have to twist their arms to get people to do stuff. They just volunteered. I appreciate hearing from some of you, even this morning, who said, you know, I did the just try it thing, and I, and I worked in the kids department this, this morning, and it was awesome. I mean, they, they, you're getting that, right? I was for inspired. They were inspired by the word of God, by the apostles' teaching. They weren't inspired by the, you know, the latest fad or the latest teaching. From, they were inspired by God's word, and that's what the I is going to be for us. E is for enjoyed. One of my favorite parts of it. 
was that this early church, what made them work was the fact that they enjoyed each other. They enjoyed the favor of God and man. They enjoyed hanging out together and the favor of all the people. And I talked about the fact that we could either be the ah church or we could be the we church. And we're going to be the we church. We're going to have fun, okay, and get used to it. And W was for the witness, uh, the fact that Jesus said, I want you to be my witness. I don't, I don't want you to be my prosecuting attorney or my judge or, or my jury. I want you to just be a witness for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the world. And that will be uh, Life on Mission, the book that I wrote and the program we're getting ready to go to. We'll start selling those books next week and get everybody ready for what's getting ready to happen. This is kind of a way for that to, to move forward, all right? And, and I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna spend two weeks, the next two weeks I'm gonna preach about Jonah. And you may think, well, why are, are you doing that? You've you got to be here the next two weeks because I know you, you know about the, like, the big fish and you got swallowed. But it's a cool story to set us up as we get ready to go into life on mission. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, so this is what drives us, right? And, and it's about motion. Again, it's about, about, about all of us being in motion. Uh, a stranger walked into a country store down in Oklahoma one day and um, he saw a sign that said, beware I got, I got my parents here, you know, they're from Oklahoma, and, and Lonnie's pastor is here. Dick Williams is Lonnie's pastor back in the day. Can you imagine that? I mean, how cool is that? This is the guy who taught Lonnie how to have the heart that he had right there, Dick Williams. Okay, so, so I'm sorry, I just got to embarrass you. Um, they're, they're all friends, and they didn't know they were going to be here together, and they're sitting by each other. It's fun for me. So they walked into the store in Oklahoma, and he saw, beware of the dog sign. You know, so he's like looking around, expecting a German shepherd or a Rottweiler or something, you know. And uh, he's walking through the store. All of a sudden, he sees this old hound dog laying there. And he's kind of still looking around. And finally, he asked the proprietor, he said, so is this the dog I'm supposed to beware of? And the guy goes, yep. And he, he said, well, you know, this doesn't look like a dangerous dog. Why in the world would you decide to post that sign? Owner said, because people kept tripping over him. And, and that's the problem with a lot of churches is that they're full of like, like hound dogs laying, you know, laying in the aisles and, and they're, not, they're not able to complete their mission because people aren't motivated to be the disciple that Jesus called them to be. Now, if you were around here last year when I got back from Rwanda, you heard me tell a lot of amazing stories. Uh, we have a, a ministry in, Afri in Kenya, and we've been there a lot. Nairobi, in the slums of Nairobi, is the worst place I've ever been in my life. It's horrible, and, uh, and we're trying to help them and do that. So when I went to Rwanda, a place that 20 years ago, one-tenth of the country was slaughtered with machetes and clubs by their neighbors... If you didn't see Hotel Rwanda, you don't even know this went on. It's way crazier story than any other genocide you've ever heard of. They, they would just turn on their neighbors immediately. Like in 100 days, a million of the 10 million people that lived in that country were killed. And, and half of them, 5 million people were displaced. It's unbelievable. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, been to Kenya. I go to Rwanda. This is not going to be good, right? H how can it be good? And I go to Rwanda, and there's curb and guttered streets everywhere and there's construction going on, and there's new restaurants, and there's no trash. And I'm thinking, I, I landed in the wrong place, you know? Like, this looks like I landed in, in Brussels or something. I, I don't understand. How, how has this happened? And, and how it's happened, and, and statistically, just so you know, uh, AIDS was 9% about seven years ago. Now it's 3%. In the last five years, one-tenth of the country has been pulled out of poverty in Rwanda. 
There's economic growth. Go to Costco, you'll find Rwandan coffee, right? Go to Starbucks, they have Rwandan coffee. Free trade is going on. The, the economy is going crazy. Things are going good. When I was in Rwanda two weeks ago, Warren Buffett's son was there in Rwanda to help because they're getting ready to invest in agriculture in Rwanda. I mean, that, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? No, it does. And here's how it happened. It happened top down and bottom up, okay? Top down was the president. He wanted it to happen. He was a, 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 a visionary leader, and he went and he got people to come into the country. But the bottom up was about the church. It was about the church that started working together. And, and I'm not, uh, the church can't take credit for everything. A lot of people have helped Rwanda. But the church started working together. And the church in Rwanda was full, became full of disciples instead of hound dogs, okay? And, and they started helping each other, and they started working together. And even though you would think, you know, you've got the Hutus and the Tutsis, you know, that still probably are feeling a little tension because of what happened 20 years ago, nah. They told us not even to ask people what tribe they came from when we went over there because it doesn't matter to them anymore. They're all united, and they're working together towards bringing heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And it really blew me away. So what happened was Rick Warren asked us, and the Saddleback team asked us, to take the lead in Malawi, which is one country over, 16 million people, um, much more poverty, 13 to 14% AIDS right now, 50% mortality rate for women having babies, very poor. Um, this is going to be a hard thing, and we're not going to do it alone, and it's not going to change our missions or the other things that we're doing, and it's not like I'm going to move over to Africa. I mean, I won't even be able to go over there until maybe sometime next winter or spring, but we're going to start working to get the churches to work together in Malawi so that we can, we can help them, and, and, and Rick and the Saddleback team is trying to get a church for every one of the 56 countries in Africa so that we can start working together in the U.S. to work together over there and mobilize the disciples of Africa to change the continent. And here's the revelation that happened, okay? And we're going to be the first church in. I love it, okay? Here's the revelation that happened. We can't go over there and expect them to be disciples if we're not disciples. Does that make sense? I mean, I can't take, take my people over there and go, okay, you guys need to work together. Here's what's going to happen, you know. And, and they go, well, how's it going at your church? Your church must be awesome. Well, eh, we, we don't really do that much here. <laughs> We're just coming over here to help you. Okay? That, that's not going to work. And I'm using the word disciples very purposely, okay. The word disciple is used in the Bible 270 times. The word Christian is used in the Bible three it's okay, call yourself a Christian. We're part of a Christian church. We're not going to change our name. That, that's, that's all really good. But that didn't happen until later on. Disciples is a different term, and we're going to talk about that. This extra chair is for Casey, in case you thought maybe I was hoping the Holy Spirit would actually show up and sit by me. Casey's going to come out in a minute, and we're going to, we're going to share some things together. All right? Important that you understand discipleship, okay? Disciple is about apprentice. It's about learning to be like Jesus, and it's about motion, right? It's, it's about being driven. It's about not going to the same place that you were. I had a professor in my grad program along the way. I had the best illustration ever. He said, a lot of churches are like lake churches. And you go to a lake, right? And what do you do? You plop your junk down on, on the beach. You put your towel out, put, spread out your chairs, and you go swim in the lake, and you go lay out in your tube, and, and you have fun, and you play out in the water, and then you come back to the same place that you were. And that's what a lot of churches are like. And Parkview is never going to be a lake church. That's what I want you to understand. We're going to be a river church. 
And in a river church, if you've ever floated a river, what happens is you go get into the river and you better not leave stuff back there because you're going to be taken downstream to a place that you're going to get out in a new spot that you've never been before. And that's what happened in the early church. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not I'm going to come to church and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to do my old thing again. You should be involved in a, in a body. I don't care if you're listening to me online or whatever is going on. You should be involved in a, in a body of believers that is helping you move downstream towards being like Jesus more than ever before. And, and if you will do that, if we will do that, then we can go train those people to do that. And this is the model of missions that's been messed up for a very, very long time. And we've been a part of it, all right? It, for example, my family and I went to Costa Rica. Um, that was one of the early missions that we got involved in. It was in the slums of Costa Rica. And we have an optometrist here who is now on our pastoral staff, Brian Oswald, who said, I'm going to go. What we'll do is we'll gather glasses and we'll go and we'll take an optometry trip. And so we took 3,000 pairs of glasses and we went to this church that we were working with in Costa Rica. And we all gathered together and we got up one morning and we set up in the church building, this place where you could go in and you could, you, we could set up these different stations to give out eyeglasses, all right? Now, now you got to understand, you do need an optometrist if you're going to, you know, figure this out in the U.S., but there are ways that you could figure out how to see better without having for everybody to see an optometrist, right? I mean, you can go to Walgreens and, and look at the reading glasses and look through them, you know, until you find the right one. I mean, that's, that's what could happen. So we knew that we couldn't, get, we couldn't take the equipment, we couldn't get everybody to see Dr. Oswald. So he set us up in stations and he said, here's what I want you to do. Now, I, I want to put this chart on the wall and I'm going to put a line right here. And I want you to help the people come here and read how far down they can get, you know, one or two, one or, you, you know, do the whole thing, right? And, and you do that and we go through this process and we will give them glasses. And we did. And it was wonderful. Here's the irony of it. As I'm thinking back, my, my daughter was in eighth grade. Becca was in eighth grade when we went for the very first time, okay? Now here's an eighth grade girl, just barely knows a little bit of Spanish, is, is helping these people figure out how to get better vision. And it was wonderful, except Becca got back on the plane and went back to America. What we should have been doing was teaching the people that actually speak Spanish because they live in Costa Rica and are actually going to live there, how to do this on their own so that like every day they could be helping people get better vision. You see what I'm saying? And we missed it by that much. We weren't giving them food, but we were still doing the white Messiah complex. That's what it's known in missiological terms, right? The white Messiah complex. That, that's that's the, you know, us, us Europeans and Canadians and, and, and Anglos, we, we know about, you know, what happened in Africa with the slaves. We, we, we've seen dances with wolves, you know. We're a little conflicted about Columbus Day. We're not sure how all these things happened. But at the end of it, we, we, we were the one, you know, the white people were the ones that kind of got everything started in the first place. And so deep down inside of us, those of us who are believers, those of us who care, we, we have this complex like we need to go do something. And we do. We absolutely do. But we don't need to go do it for them. We need to go help them do it for themselves. The reason Rwanda's working is because there are now 4,000 trained medical workers, volunteer medical workers, that are Rwandans that went through a 27-week course 
taught by doctors and nurses from the U.S. to help teach them to be medical workers to go out and help their communities. And guess what they do? They go out and train other people to be medical workers in their communities. That's why HIV and AIDS is down. Because a big part of that is teaching about hygiene. It's teaching about making sure you take your ARV medicine on time. Because if you don't, it's going to mess it up. You don't need a doctor or a nurse to do that. You need a disciple. So the American disciples are teaching the Rwandan disciples. And on and on it goes. Right? I said this in my blog, um, timharlow.com, if you want to read. We've spent a half a trillion dollars half a trillion dollars in aid to Africa in the last uh, several decades. Half a trillion. And there has not been very much movement. I mean, if I could go back to my golf analogy, it was a whiff. Okay? It w- w- so far, we've hit the tee, and, and the ball went, bloop. That's what happened. Not making a dent. Because we haven't figured this out. Because we made them dependent on us. So it's our fault. And they're just looking for us to come over and, and save them. And they don't really want that to happen. They really want to, they want to do it for themselves. They want to be disciples, so we have to train them to be disciples. But we can't train them to be disciples if we're not disciples. <laughs> Let me go back to my illustration. <clears throat> I know it's a pain to teach your teenager to drive. Okay, yeah, right? Uh, uh, oh, oh, man. I mean, you know, there is nothing scarier because, you know, they think they're all awesome and you're the one over by the mailboxes, right? You're like, whoa, whoa, that one's a little close. Get back over. You know, they, they don't have any perception of that, right? And it is a real pain and it is scary to teach your teenager to drive. But you know you have to do it for their sake and for yours. I have three daughters. Two live in L.A., one lives in Nashville. I can't go drive them around for the rest of their life. You see where I'm going with this? At some point, I have got to help them understand how to drive. And it is a pain, and I'd rather just drive them myself sometimes. But when you get it done, you're going to be really happy. And I just, well, just a word, if you are training your oldest child to drive right now, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. After you get this one done, you're going to be like, oh, man, this is awesome. And when your next child comes along and is getting close to, you know, 15, 15 and a half, you're going to be counting down the days on the calendar until they get their license. You're going to be lying about their driving hours to the government. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's what I thought, okay. Yeah, 100 hours, boom, there you go. All right, I'm not saying I did it. I just know that you probably will, right? Because you're going to be really, really anxious for them to drive themselves. We actually, Becca's birthday is in October, and because of the way the Lincoln Way schedule was set up, she was going to have to wait to take driver's ed, and it was going to mean like six more months before she could drive. So we paid $400 for private driving lessons so that we could get her out of our hair and let her go drive herself around. You're going to get this. This is important. So this is what hit me. We need to do a better job of teaching you to drive. And then you can go teach other people how to drive. That's that's how I feel. That's what what I think is going on. We have a three-part mission statement, purpose statement. We reach, we raise, we release. Reach people that are far from Christ. We raise them up to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And then we release them to do ministry. And the problem is, this is not a problem, it's an awesome thing, but the problem is I've, I've got a heart for those people that are outside of the church. 
And when I moved to this church 25 years ago, we did not have that. And so I had to work really, really hard to get us focused on the people that don't have a church, that don't have Jesus, because that's who Jesus wants us to be all about, right? The problem is, as we keep doing that, it gets easier and easier to emphasize how we're going to reach and reach and reach, and then it gets harder and harder to emphasize that we need to also raise and release. And I'm going to tell you, I I feel right now like it's time for us to to make a, a monumental shift, and I don't mean in preaching, I don't even mean in programming, I mean in a mental shift for all of us to understand that Jesus didn't say go and make converts, he said go and make disciples. So while we reach, we've got to be raising disciples. And here's why. I'm understanding now because of Africa. Disciples equals multiplication. Because disciples can disciple each other. Converts is about addition. Converts is about how many people I can reach or we can reach. Disciples is not. Discipleship is about motion. Right? John Ortberg called it the flow The Spirit of God was flowing through the early church, and so they couldn't get back out again. And it was not, the early church was not a lazy river, you know, with a little inner tube like at a water park. It was really more like, it was really more like this, okay? That's what the Acts 2 church was like, all right? And that's really what it's like around here sometimes. I feel like I'm I'm slalom skiing behind an F-16 because it's like that. And yet that is exactly what it needs to happen. That's what we need to have happen. We need to have everybody grabbing a hold of a rope and saying, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to make this happen. Now, I called this out last week for three reasons. I think it's important that, that we get everybody understanding that it's their job to be a part of this discipleship process. Three reasons. Number one, I've already said, we have a mission. We can't do our mission unless everybody's on board. Number two, there is a spiritual battle going on. This was just weird, but I don't know if you noticed this last week. <laughs> that behind me in the scrim last week, you know, there's a there's a little place over here that got like somebody wrinkled it up with their hands, and people kept saying, "What is that in the in the scrim behind? It looks like a is that an angel? Is it a demon? Is it him who shall not be named?" I mean, it looks like Voldemort, doesn't it? Right? Am I right? Voldemort's behind me. And, and it was like, everybody's like, I mean, you know, by the end of the service on Sunday night, everybody's like, whoa, that's really weird. And I, you know what? I don't believe that that was an angel or a demon. Somebody just wrinkled the fabric, but, but it reminded me of this fact. Paul said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. There is a spiritual battle going on. And as you become a disciple, as you get into the flow of what God wants to do in your life, you're going to be better equipped to be able to handle that. We have a mission. There's a spiritual battle. And the third thing is, and I'll get Casey out here. The third thing is, it's the best way to live. After 52 years, I, I want to tell you, I'm understanding this better than ever before. And please understand, I, I'm, I'm a shepherd, a pastor, right? I'm your shepherd. I am not telling you this because I want to be mean to you. I'm telling you this because I want you to understand where the good grass is. I want you to understand that this is the way that you need to live your life. I'm not trying to thin out the herd. I wasn't trying to be mean last week and make you leave. I thought about busting into a little Ariana Grande on on you. I got one less problem without you. Bye-bye. <laughs> but, but that's not what I was doing, okay? I, I don't mind your problems. It's true that I'm driven to have the church working at its very best, but, but the truth is, I know this is the best way to live. 
Living in the, in, the, in, in the lack of discipleship, living the opposite of the way Jesus wants you to live is just not going to get you there. Living on purpose is the best life ever. Uh, best illustration I could think of is, you know, guys, a lot of times will look back at, a, at the old cars, you know, the 55 Chevy. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Somebody will restore an old car, 65 Mustang, right? You're like, oh, man, those look so cool. They do look cool, and they are cool, but you wouldn't want to drive one to Albuquerque would you? You wouldn't want to drive one very far. You know why? There's no air conditioning. They didn't even have seat belts. There's no GPS. There's no, you know, there's no sound system. I mean, think about it. Does anybody want to go back to 8-track? <laughs> Come sail away. Come sail away. Come sail away. That's where it was in mine. I don't know where it was in yours. Anybody want to do that? No, no, of course not. What I'm saying is that a life without discipleship, without knowing and learning and growing in God is like you're doing eight-track Christianity. That's what you're doing. Because you know this. Every once in a while you do something and, and you reach out to a neighbor and, and you pray for them and God answers that prayer or, or, or they, they come to a faith in Jesus or something happens and you're like, wow, this is awesome. This is the best feeling ever. You know, or, or you, you give back to God like he asks you to a tithe of your income and he starts getting involved in making things happen. I get these stories all the time. People are like, I can't believe what God has done. This is unbelievable. And I think about this, the biggest difference between an eight-track Christian and an HD disciple is abiding peace, a life full of love, a faith that sees everything coming together for the good, a hope that stands firm in the hardest times, power to do the right thing and withstand temptation, joy. I, I mean, those are the things that you want. That's the, that's the GPS and the, and the high-definition stereo and, and the air conditioning and the heated seats. That's what that is for us and our car, okay? Example of this, got an email from uh, Mac. Oh, actually, Mac's parents, um, Mac is a nine-year-old who is 5'5 and 163 pounds and plays football. So um, you're going to want to get Mac's autograph because he's going to be <laughs> playing in the NFL one of these days. And he has this, he, he's nine years old, and he plays football, and he loves it, and his parents are, like, working with him on, you know, what he's going to do, how he's going to grow up, and what he's going to be. And, and, and uh they got a scholarship to play in Frankfurt Falcons Football League because of his size, I'm guessing. And, and so they're like, hey, you saved us $250. What do you want to do with this $250 that we would have paid for you to play football? And he thought about it, and he thought about it, and he thought about it. And one day he wrote this note. I'm going to put this note up. You can't really read it, but I want, I just, just leave this up for a second, okay? He wrote this note. He said, Mom and Dad, I know what I want to do with the $250. I want to build wells for people in Africa. Let's give it to Africa to do wells. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. He could have bought a, he bought an Xbox, okay? Now, now leave that up because I want you to notice the one word you can read in there is kitty. Um, so he's not a full disciple yet because he still wants a kitty. Someday he'll, someday he'll grow past that and be a real Christian. But for right now, he's got it all put together, Right? At nine years, now here's what, I'm, here's what I'm saying. The feeling as parents to know, I mean, that's why they emailed me, right? The feeling as parents, the feeling even for Mac at nine years old is, I know I could have had an Xbox, I know I could have had this, but I did the right thing. And you know what I'm talking about. When you live in HD discipleship, you know what I'm talking about, and it feels awesome, and you know it. And you're going to turn to your old eight-track life when those things happen and say, I got one less problem without you, because I'm moving on, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. All right, so we're going to talk about it. 
We're going to talk about it in Life on Mission coming up. I wanted to invite Casey out. Come on out, Casey. Casey is our spiritual formation pastor, and uh, yeah, you can welcome him. I want to just talk this through with Casey because we thought it'd be fun to kind of do this together. So welcome, Casey. Let's talk about it all together here. Thanks. Hey, uh, eight track. What is, what's that? Yeah. (laughs) I'll explain it someday when you grow up. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, I, I just, we want to, for this topic, it's so weird because there's so much baggage to it, so we just want to unpack a couple things. First of all, uh, growth is not on us to do. It's not your responsibility to grow because, frankly, if it was, we would have already figured out how to do it. Right. We would have created an infomercial, we'd all be millionaires, and we'd quit this whole exactly. thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, if we knew how to do it ourselves, we would have already done it. So I know a lot of people are probably here today saying, I, just, I need something more than what I've got, and I just don't know what it is. And the, the misconception is, is that growth is our responsibility. But I love what the psalm says about this. In Psalm um, 1, it says this, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted beside streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season. So you notice the tree's job is not to squeeze really hard and try and pump out some fruit. The tree's job is to stay planted by the thing that makes it grow, Mm. streams of water. Your job is not to force yourself to grow. Your job is to stay planted by something that will make you grow. And so what does that look like? How does that work? Well, Jesus actually teaches about this in a passage in John chapter 15. It's a really cool passage. He says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that's a lot. So let me unpack that a little bit with a metaphor. We're going to switch our metaphors just a little bit here and start talking about physical fitness. Now, none of us wants to talk about that because none of us wants to do it, all right? But we're just using it as an illustration, so let's pretend that we're not going to do it. Physical fitness is hard because we know what comes with it, because we know we're going to get sore, because we know we're going to have to do some different stuff, and because we live in the greatest food city in the universe. Amen. Amen. It works. That was good. Yeah, I know. This is the first time I've ever tried that. Yeah. Thank you, Choco. Thank you so much. So when Jesus is teaching this passage in John 15, what he knows is that he's about to die and be raised from the dead, and he's going to be gone. And so he's leaving these disciples in charge of transforming the world, but he knows he's got to leave them with something more than just some rules to abide by. He knows it's got to be more than just don't do bad things and just do good things. They, need, they don't need rules to follow. They need a reason to follow. They need a bigger vision. Just like fitness, it's not about just doing it. It's about having a bigger picture of what life could really look like. And a lot of us grew up, I grew up in a church that said the way that you did faith was you did good stuff instead of bad stuff. Yeah. The less bad stuff you did, the more God loved you and all that good well, stuff. A lot of people grew up like that. I mean, we joke about it around here. In Oklahoma, we used to say, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. And, and you, think, um, you, think, you think that's weird, but I know girls, I dated girls who chewed, and so yeah. did he. He was from yeah. West Virginia, okay? That's not a joke. That's a person. It's yeah, a person. I, person. I, I got yeah. that face in my mind Absolutely. right there, okay? But, but, but that, that, that's not the point. That, that's why we're saying what you want is a physical trainer that looks better than you, okay? Right? 
Am I right? I mean, you don't need a physical trainer who's in worse shape than you. That's not, that's not going to help you, right? It's not like, I don't want to look like that guy. It's, I do want to look like that guy. That's what, that's what is important. Yeah. And Jesus even did that. Jesus said, the Son of God only does, the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus was our example of God, and now he is our example for us. That's how it worked. That's how the whole thing happened. Right? And sometimes, yeah, we'd all like to step back and give in to the things that are around us, right? I mean, you joke about the food. Becca, you know, Becca's like, okay, we don't have good Chinese food in LA and we don't have good pizza in LA. So we're going to go to Rising Sun for lunch and Lou Malnati's for dinner. That's not on the plan. You know Amen. what I'm saying? That's not on the plan, but Beck is here, so we're going to take care of her and, you know, do our duty. Every, every once in a while, even as a believer, I'm like, oh, I want to give in to lust. Yeah. You know, I want to give in to greed. I want to give in to those things that I know are, are bad for me. Yeah. And the, if the only motivation for me, okay, the only motivation for me to not do that is that I think Jesus or God is going to be mad at me for sure. it, then that's not really very good motivation. No. If my only motivation for not eating, you know, the, the butter crust on Lou Malnati's is that, you know, I know I'm not supposed to, it's not going to do me any good. I have to have a vision of what it is that I want to have. Absolutely. So here's what we said. Following Jesus and learning how to do life is the best life any person could ever live. And you've got to start there. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is really important for us to mention, and we can't say this enough. Jesus did not call you to be a Christian. Jesus didn't even know what that word was. Right. Jesus called people to be disciples. 52 times in the Gospels, he says, follow me. Zero times does he say, join a church. Zero times does he say, be a good person. He says 52 times, follow me. Why? Because he knows if we follow him, all that other stuff is going to come along with it. We've got the whole process backwards. We think we do the good stuff first, and then we get the great stuff in the end. He says, no, you've got to have a vision of who you want to be like before you ever start trying to do anything. You need a trainer to show you what that's supposed to look like. So he says, be my disciples, because he knew what John Ortberg says is true. Discipleship is the the life we've always wanted. Mm. So you may have come in here today and you've got no faith background and you're like, wow, this is a lot for me. Let me just say, as a human being, you have a life that you've always wanted. Would you like to have that? Jesus says, I can give you that. I can give you that thing mm. that you are searching for. But listen, this is the other important part. It doesn't just fall on us. This whole thing about growth, if you're going to growth, you need, you need, if you're going to grow, you need to know that it doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. It's about training. Not about trying harder. It's about training. And that's why Jesus had disciples and not experts. I mean, if you make the commitment, which I think you should, jump in, get baptized, start following Jesus, if you do that, you're not going to come up out of that water and go, I am a fully devoted follower of Christ. <laughs> Thank you very much. I am moving on to my life now. That's not what's going to happen. What's and I'm very white. I yeah, like that's that. Right. That's great. Your good, voice good. is going to get deeper, your <laughs> chest hair. It's going to be awesome. Um, I've seen that happen to people, though. It's pretty freaky. Uh, what's in that water over there? But here's the thing. You're going to get up out of that baptismal water. You're going to go to work the next day. You're going to sit in the cube across from that person, and you're going to want to slap them. They're obnoxious. The world has not changed. Your way of dealing with the world has changed. Now you said, would Jesus slap my coworker? <laughs> well, if he wouldn't, maybe that's the best thing that could happen. So what does it look like for Jesus to be our life trainer? How does he teach us how to go into that moment and not slap our coworker, instead respond with love and grace and the things that give us life and not take it away? The first thing that has to happen with this whole process is there's got to be some cleaning time. 
We've got to get rid of some things. In John 15, 2, it says this. It says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So what you need to know is you've got everything within you to be a healthy human being. This isn't even just a Christian issue. This no, is a human no, thing. No. Everything within you to grow. The crazy thing is, the scandalous thing about Christianity is that Jesus actually believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. I think that's true. Because he called us and said, I want you to be my disciple, which means I want you to do the stuff that I did. Like, I know me. I got up with me. I'm jacked up. Yeah. You and I are leading them. Yeah. That doesn't make much sense. Oh, they're in trouble. No, I, mean, I mean, really. But this think about the early thought. disciples. That, you know, I mean, they, didn't, they didn't either. So no. it all makes sense. No. So we all have this spot where we've got to start cleaning some stuff out because we've got all we need. There's just some obstacles in the way. So if you're going to get physically fit, you have to do that too. You've got to go in. You've got to clean out your cupboards. Mm. You've got to stop drinking soda. You've got to start drinking water, which is just a good idea. You've got to delete the Lumanati's number from your cell phone mm. contacts. You've got to do all that stuff. You've got to get yourself straight because disciples are the kind of people who say, if Jesus is asking me to do it, it's the best thing I could ever be asked to do. So I've got to clean out the stuff that keeps me from doing that. So when he says, love your enemies, pray for those who curse you, bless those who persecute you, I know my enemies. I'd really rather slap them than love them. But if Jesus is saying that, there's obviously a good reason for it. I can obviously trust him that that's going to be better than my idea to slap them. And so what happens is Jesus starts to clean stuff out of our life that's just keep, it's killing us. Mm. It's literally killing us from the inside out. And he begins to clean those things out. He cleans out some, a lot of bad thoughts. Forgiveness yeah. is one of them, obviously. Uh, forgiveness is a great example, okay? Um, again, I'll come back to Rwanda. This photographer goes off over to Rwanda, and he's filming Hutus and Tutsis together. Uh, like, these are, these are, the, these are the, the, the Tutsi families that, you know, like the Hutus killed their family, and they're in these pictures together. I'll go ahead and put this one up, all right? This is the one of a woman who has got her hand. She is a Tutsi. She's got her hand on the shoulder of the Hutu man who slaughtered her father and her brothers with a machete. Now, you don't see a lot of love in there necessarily, but listen to what she said. She said, when it comes to forgiveness willingly granted, one is satisfied once and for all when it's fully granted. When someone is in full anger, he can lose his mind. But when I granted forgiveness, I felt my mind at rest. Yeah. What is that? That, 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 is, that is high definition discipleship, mm. right? Yeah. That's the best way to live. Some of you are losing your mind because of anger, because of unforgiveness. And you know Jesus said you need to learn how to forgive. You know Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know all those things. But the difference is Jesus didn't just say it. He did it. And so if you're looking at him, you can see these things. You can see he said, yeah, you need to learn to forgive, but you can see that he also did it. And, and that is the physical trainer saying, okay, here's the exercise. Now let me show you how to do it. Yeah. yeah and that's, that applies to everything that Jesus ever taught or asked. None of this stuff is stuff we get done by effort. It's by training. It's by learning how to do it. Now, I don't know. We've got this conception in our head that God is like up in heaven munching on an ass. It's just waiting to smite us. Yeah. Oh, not great happy. smiter. Yeah. Um, right. And he's got this button on his computer ready to smite everybody. Yeah. And it, so when we think of God as a, like a physical trainer, we think of him like Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser. Like he's there to punch us in the face <laughs> until we are healthy. Make us hurt. But that's not what we see because when we look at Jesus, 
Jesus, that's not what we see. And so Jesus isn't a killjoy as a trainer. He just knows, listen, if you do this instead of that, you'll have the life you've been looking for. As a trainer says, if you eat that salad instead of that salami, you're going to have the life that you've always wanted. Mm -hmm. So we've got to start kicking around some really important, like, practical questions. We've got to start asking ourselves, is the life of uncontrolled anger we've been living giving us life back or sucking life away from us? That's not a Christian question. That's a human question. Is the life of lust giving us life back or sucking it out of us? Is the power of greed and and the anxiety over having more or having what our neighbor has, is that driving us to health and life or is it driving us to overwork and anxiety and sleeplessness because we'll never get enough or never have enough? Are you right now living the best life you think you could ever live? And if not, maybe this Jesus thing has something for you. Maybe becoming a disciple of Jesus instead of becoming a disciple of us could be a good idea. So we got to clean out some stuff, but then we've also got to go with the flow. Training is always about motion. A good trainer is moving you towards something, and you're always going to be growing. You're always going to be expanding in that, but you got to know that if you start to abide with Jesus, that's that other word in John 15, instead of remain, it's abide. If you start to abide, you are in for an incredible ride. Yeah, good. If you start to abide, you're in for a ride. I think Choco taught me that. It's got the rhyming thing there. Um, The thing about the disciples, he sent them to some crazy places. Mm -hmm. Jesus sends out the disciples in one story, and he sends them out to cast out demons. But he specifically says, you can only take one cloak with you. Now, the important thing to know about that is the cloak is the code word for underwear. So he's sending the disciples out on this trip to cast out demons with one pair of underwear. Listen, if I'm going to encounter a demon, I need at least two, Mm -hmm. if not three. Right? And, and, Thank you. And the point is, he sent them to meet demons. Yes. He sent them to Voldemort, okay? He sent them to do that. Yeah. And that's part of the journey. You don't know where Jesus is going is to send you. He, sends you. he sends them off to meet with tax collectors and lepers and people yeah. they would never spend time with because right. he knows if you learn to love these people... You're going to grow immensely. We, we don't go to Malawi or Kenya or our own backyards with the mission of Jesus because we're the hope for the world or we're, you know, some sort of special breed of people. We go because Jesus is already there. Yeah. We're just meeting him where he's already at work. We are disciples, and we are learning how to be sent to these places to go with the flow. And sometimes the way we handle life, I mean, we get crushed by the waves of, of crisis and stuff that falls on top of us. Sometimes we just need to learn how to turn around and go with the flow, and that's what Jesus teaches us. You go into these dark places where you used to feel threatened and overwhelmed, and if you go with me, you will be significant, you'll be safe, you'll be strong, you'll turn a country like Malawi, like Malawi around, you turn a country like Rwanda around. Yeah. Disciples are the kind of people who do that. And Jesus even said, if you go with the flow, there are some things that are going to happen to you. In John 7, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living, think about this, this is weird, actually a little weird metaphor, rivers of living water will flow from within you. And that's not about whether you believe all the doctrines. That's not about whether you believe all the historical teachings of the church. That's whether you believe Jesus is actually smart. Like we believe God is good, Mm -hmm. we believe he's great, but rarely ever would we say that we believe God is smart and smarter than us, and can see around corners. We believe that Jesus is right about everything that he said. And if he is right, there's a revolution that's just waiting to be launched. Because listen, Jesus lived without lust. Jesus lived without 
his life being controlled by anger. He lived without greed. He was free enough from anxiety. He played with children. He played Twister in Jerusalem in the midst of the greatest mission the world has ever seen. How do you do that? You're just free from all that stuff. Joy. You're free from all that stuff. You have this joy and deep peace that goes beyond everything. And I, I get into these conversations, and I'm just tired of, I'm tired of being my own. This is me. Just, mm. just confession time. Don't fire me. Um, I get tired of how... <laughs> I get tired of myself. I'm actually a little tired these days of being a Christian because it's not helpful in some ways, because it's not changing people's lives. It's not changing my life. Being a disciple is what changes people's lives. And so we get this conception of God like God's rules are all about being controlling. Yeah. But God is being creative. To respond to the things he taught is not for us to be controlled, it's for us to be created into a new and living and breathing kind of thing. Because he knows what's best for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. So when I hear him say, you know, when we talk about read scripture or pray or give, we're not doing that because we need to keep the lights on, which we do. We're not doing that because no. we want everybody to do the same thing. It's because I know if I were a physical trainer for the soul, if you do these exercises, you are moving on towards that person that you've always wanted to become. And so I, I need to be a disciple more than I need to be a Christian yeah. these days days. Yeah. And you're going to have the feeling that Mac had when he gave his money to go do wells in Africa. You're yeah. going to know. I mean, his biceps grew that day. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Because he, he watched guns. Jesus, what Jesus was doing, and he was doing it, and, and he's feeling better. I mean, yeah. I, I guarantee you. Yeah. Third thing is you got to trust the trainer, okay? Um, and, and we'll quote with this, but it's, it's not going to be an easy journey. He's already said that. You may need an extra pair of underwear if you're going to do this discipleship thing, okay? Absolutely. Uh, but, but, but there's more than that. This life we live in is not easy. Paul said, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not pour, put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Yeah. So sometimes there's going to be stuff in our life that's not going to go the way that we want it to. And, and it's not necessarily God. This is not, please, sir, may I have another, right? Okay, this is, this is just the way life is sometimes, but we know that all things work together for good for those who love God the Lord, and are called according to his purpose. So you got to trust the trainer even when you don't understand why the pain is happening. Even, you know, even when you've got a, a, a crick in your neck that you got from lifting weights and you're not sure why it's there and you're not even able to lift weights as well anymore, that's actually what my last week has been like. You've got to trust that the trainer knows what's best for you and this is going to be okay. And, and you can hate the trainer for the soreness, but you got to love the trainer. you got to trust the trainer because he knows the right things that are happening. Mm. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is where we come back to here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me and trust me. Yeah. And you're going to bear fruit. Yeah, and the deepest truth about bearing fruit is that it hurts, our, it hurts us in our culture because we are a drive-through kind of people. Mm. Like, I want stuff 15 seconds ago. But growth doesn't happen that way, and that's why it's worthwhile. It's because it takes a long time for us to achieve some long-term growth. Right. And so there's actually an equation that you can look at that talks about growth, and growth is actually joy plus pain over time. Growth is joy plus pain over time. So what that means is that joy is not the same thing as happiness. It's much stronger. It's much more powerful. Happiness is that giddy feeling that you get when you buy something, but that's going to be gone in a few weeks because you're going to need to upgrade it. Mm -hmm. Joy is the kind of thing that sticks no matter what. Joy is the kind of thing that lasts and says you're going to be fine even when the diagnosis is malignant, not benign. Joy is the kind of thing that lasts when somebody's filing papers and somebody's packing bags. 
Joy is the kind of thing that lasts when that child doesn't come home at night and you don't have any idea where they are. Joy in pain over the course of time is the thing that produces growth. So growth as a disciple isn't instant. It's not easy. It's not quick. But again, I can say this. You can say this. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to the world. And it's going to be the greatest thing to ever happen uh, to, to, the, to the whole globe. I mean, it we're is talking the about every country right. in Africa now. Uh, discipleship is going to be the answer to everything that's going wrong there. Yeah. So there's this story that kind of illustrates this. Jesus talks about a rich young man that comes to him and he says, I want the life I've always wanted. Can you show me how to get that, teacher? Jesus says, sure, you need to keep all the commandments. He's like, done. I checked off all the boxes, kept all the commandments since I was a little kid. And so Jesus gives him one of those, like, as a parent, you know this, like you're looking at your child and you just have this sense of pity for them. And Jesus says to them, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And it's kind of like, oh, honey, oh, you're so sweet. You are so cute. Listen, you kept all the commandments, but you got one thing that's still hanging out there. One little big problem in your heart. teensy little thing there. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, (laughs) and then come back and follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. So here's where we are with this, is we have to count the cost of, is it more important for me to stay in the shape I'm in, or to trust the trainer, and to become physically and spiritually and emotionally healthy by becoming a disciple of Jesus. If you want to be a better father, if you want to be a better husband, if you want to be a better coworker, don't read books on how to be better coworkers. Become a better disciple of Jesus. And all that stuff will come along Amen. with it. Amen. And so this guy, this young guy, he couldn't see. You know, the pain of change was not greater than the pain of staying the same. Right. That's and right. And so he, he couldn't see what could be if he followed this imaginative and creative Jesus and learned how to live without the stuff that was holding him and back. And he walked away sad. And he walked away sad. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there is a training plan we have, and so we don't want to leave you without practical steps. We have a plan to help you understand how to get all this stuff working in your life. We have these three things we call them uh, core learning experiences, because I know some of you, if they said come to a class, you'd say, no, I'll be at home poking my eyes out. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So we call them core learning experiences. We don't have a ton of them, we just have three, and so we figure we can do three. That might not be too bad. So the first one's called what we believe, and um, it's... It's about what we believe. It's aptly named. Cleverly titled. Mm. Very cl- brain I, I trust probably people. wondering what that Hours was about. Hours of work it, it took yeah. to develop yeah. that title. Yeah. Um, it's about who is this God that we're supposed to be following and what difference does that make in my entire life. So that's the first one. The second one is after we believe. I see you're picking up a, a little <laughs> trend here. Trying to keep it simple. Yes, yeah, very simple. Simple. Uh, after we believe is about how do I have a plan for transformation? How do I every day... Learn a new way that God is going to change me and create some habits that will help me to transform. And the third one is called uh, Living Our Beliefs. And this is about how do I live the mission that God has for my life, for my neighborhood, for my family, for my home, for my country, for wherever I'm Mm going to go in the future. I am encouraging you, if you want to be a disciple, and maybe you're still kind of on the edge about it, come through these three. And and at the end, I can promise you this, and I teach them so I can kind of put a little stamp on this. Coming through this, you are going to find that discipleship is a lot more powerful and a lot more practical than you ever thought it would be. That's what we talk about the whole time, this life that you've always wanted. We want to introduce you to the tools to help you get there. And when you get to the end, you're going to, I mean, uh, you're going to get to this point. I mean, you're not going to get to the end. When, when you get to the end of your life, you know, and, and, and you're looking back, you're going you're gonna to never regret turning to your eight-track Christian way of life and saying, 
Everything Jesus does to take you into the flow of the river and move you downstream, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I'm so glad I did that. Probably all of us are going to say, man, I wish I would have gone deeper and farther and faster. You're never going to regret it. And here's, 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 what I want to, here's how I want to end this. I was at, uh, Dave Ramsey is like this guru. If you don't know who he is, he's the financial peace guru. We teach financial peace around here, getting ready to start another program. We, we, uh, he's a nationwide guy that helps people. He went bankrupt, and then he decided to live his life by biblical principles. And he got out of debt and has now become a, a very wealthy man. But, but he has gotten out of debt, and he's helped a lot of other people get out of debt. And I'm using this as an illustration for what could happen in your life when you realize what it's like to be a disciple. Because uh, I went down, and I, and I taught... I taught devotions for Dave Ramsey's company. I took my rock star friend Head, the lead guitarist for Corn, because he was he lives in Nashville, and we did this devotion for all the all the 400 people that worked there. My son-in-law works there. It's just a blast. Um, but Dave, at the end of this, he got up and he told about one of the best experiences they've had around there in a long time. And and here's how it goes at Lampo. When you go to Dave Ramsey's company, um, there's a there's a foyer, there's a bookstore, and there's this area there where people will come from miles around. They will fly on planes to Nashville so that they can go to Dave Ramsey's studios and his building and do the debt-free scream. What that means is that they've started doing living principles, living on a budget, doing the right things, paying off their debts, and they are debt-free, and they'll come here, and they'll write their name on a board, and they'll do the debt-free scream. And they have people come through there every day, tons of people, dozens of people every day come in and do the debt-free scream. Now, the story that happened on Tuesday before I was there on Wednesday is what really got me. This guy, if you listen to Dave's show, you heard this, this guy robbed a bank he robbed the bank, and he lost his wife, and he lost his family, and he went to jail. When he got out of jail, he was obviously you know, already in debt and uh, decided that he was going to get himself out of debt. And not only that, but because uh, he believed in a HD way of living and decided he wanted to do the really, really right thing and not just get out of debt, he decided he would also pay back the money that he stole from the bank. So you want to talk about a debt-free scream. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm thinking maybe we need to do something around here like a disciple scream. Like every once in a while, when, when you get a hold of this and you're like, oh man, this is the way Jesus, I did what Jesus wanted and it turned out awesome. And you just come in and you write your name up and you go, yeah, that was awesome. Because that's kind of the concept that goes on here. Uh, so watch this and then we'll worship. I just want to, I want to pray for us right now because there's, there's some things in our life that are dragging us down. We'd love to be free from them. Uh, maybe, maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's anger, lust, greed. I mean, we, we brought up a lot of things. And, and I know we didn't give any easy answers because the only easy answer is to look at you and what you told us to do and how you told us to live. I think the difference is our motivation. Because if we think that our motivation is just to try to please you and make you happy, it's never, ever going to work. But if we can understand that it's because you love us and you want what's best for us and someday we're going to get to that point where we're going we're to look at our life and go, wow, this is my best life ever. And we're going to scream. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us understand this. Be with us as we worship for just a moment. In Jesus' name, amen.